0: This is episode number 94, Positive Alternatives, with Doug Pettit. Welcome, my name is Oleg Lohit, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you, to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your false potential. Before we jump into today's episode, I'd like to make a brief announcement and invite all of our listeners to our upcoming event in Baltimore called The Courage to Be You. This is an experience that was created by other community members from the Overcoming Ads tribe where you'll get a chance to hear stories from powerful speakers from all over the country and be a part of breakout sessions intended to help you share your own story. For more information, please go to overcomingodds.today/forwardslash/events. Now, let's get back to our guest. This week's conversation features Doug Pettit, retired professional manager engaged in public speaking to teens and their parents. About the pearls of underage drinking, collaborating with like minded individuals and entities focused on providing positive alternatives to underage drinking and drugs, just past the one year mark with Positive Alternatives Podcast. Together, we are better. Without further ado, please welcome Doug Pettit. It's good to see you. Good to see you too. I'm really looking forward to this. You know, I've. I've had a true, just a phenomenal morning as far as the different conversations that I've had with people. And ultimately, what it made me believe is that the more we can put ourselves in positions where we can just be curious about another person's existence and experience, I think that's where like the true learning happens and everything. And, you know, with with this particular topic, um, I, don't, I don't have direct experience, but I've always wanted to learn many different things. I think first one is, How does, how does, um, how does an individual live beyond that particular instance and which elements of that continue to live with them? Because, you know, even though we've, um, we come to terms and acceptance of certain things, I mean, there are elements of my past that still live within me and that I refer back to and, and, and as part of it, I think I'm also fortunate to be able to look back and, and say, well, it was there for a reason. And, you know, if, if the way that I've looked at kind of my life is, if not me, then who else?
1: I understand that completely. Um, You know, I, I've, in this work that I do, I work with a lot of parents who've lost a child, mm-hmm. you know, and it, as I say in many of my talks and, and, and when I speak to uh, students and Monday night I'm going out and I'm speaking one more time to, um, I do this every month It's called a youth victim impact panel. And these are first time offenders, either underage drinking or DUIs, you know, kids making mistakes. Mm -hmm. Not a, one of them got up that morning, say, Hey, I want to make a mistake and I want to get arrested, but it happened. And now they're going through the whole judicial system process. And um, we have this conversation with them. And uh, I I remind them that uh, as challenging it is for them to go through this process of, uh, you know, and one of the things they have to do is come to this youth victim impact panel. They have to get evaluated by a, a someone. They have to get some sort of uh, treatment level. They'll get assigned a level one, two, or three. There's some aftercare that comes with this. They pay substantial fines and they, they make it hurt. And they make it hurt for a reason because they don't want it to be a second time. I think you liken it to when you're a young child and your mom and dad might, might've had you take a time out. <laughs> And those five minutes seem like all day long, you know, mm-hmm. when you're a young child. And then when that didn't work, well, they just upped it, you know, and maybe it was 10 minutes and maybe it was 30 minutes. And I think the whole part of the stiff fine is, you know, well, the next time you show up, it might not cost you $5,000 or $8,000. It might be $15,000. And you may actually get some jail time to go with it, like, or you may have to do some community service or something because, um, Especially the DUIs, they're putting other people at risk. So when I talk to those young people at the Youth Victim Impact Panel, one of the things to remind them, as painful as this is for you, it's not fun for me to get up and pick at a scab every month and tell uh, the story of losing a son. It's not fun for my friend Rita to get up and talk about her son. And uh, we both have to own up to the facts that our children put themselves in harm's way. They weren't innocent victims. They you know, my son chose to go to an underage drinking party and, and um he was a strong boy and he was a big boy. He was a football player and a wrestler. No one was really going to make him do anything that he didn't choose to do. And um he did it and he made these mistakes. Yes, he went into a house where a parent was a participant, not a parent. And, and she was charged. Uh, she got charged with the crime. You know, she paid a thousand dollars and she spent four weekends in jail. So she was guilty for providing that environment, but it wasn't even her intention, you know, for our son to lose his life. She was just an irresponsible parent. Um, so we go out and we have these conversations, and we and we try to convince uh, the young people to be smarter when they're in those situations, to make to make better choices. And I, I think we have to start, um, possibly even younger. You know, and it's about building a base. I I read your background. I I I saw what you went through, and the challenges you had to face. And 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 I understand what you mean. Sometimes that maybe you were, at, at some level. I don't know if it's some ethereal level, some spiritual level, or something like that. That you were picked to, to go through that and have those experiences and share those messages with other others. And I've kind of felt the same way for me. After, you know, after it took a couple of years to get to a certain level of being able to deal with this. I mean, I can honestly say that I went to the edge and I looked over and I thought, you know, can I do this? You know, am I going to be able, be able to endure this? Uh but how would I honor my son? And he, and he still had two younger brothers, Jake and Jeremy, and they didn't do anything wrong. They deserved to have a dad and um had parents who, you know, loved me and family who loved me and um as difficult as it was, you have to persevere and you have to push through and you have to be strong. I don't begrudge anybody who doesn't. I certainly can understand that maybe you just want to curl up in a ball and let life go by. I, I, I get that, but it's not the best, the best thing. And I guess maybe there was some bigger plan that I'm not aware of that it, you know, the, the fickle finger of fate pointed towards me. And and here I am. And uh, today, here I am talking to you about something. um and we're sharing an experience, you know, I'm, I've never met anybody. Um, I've probably known some people that were adopted, but I didn't know it, you know, and um, reading your experience of what you came through and how it impacted you and the, and the way you're pushing forward. I mean, much respect from me to you.
0: I appreciate it. You know, there's so many questions that come to mind as you're sharing this. The, the first one is I've always been curious in, in wanting to learn when people are, when people are against their threshold and against their ceiling with a particular situation, such as the one that you just mentioned of being on the edge of possibly deciding, I don't know how far to your extent went as far as the decision. I mean, was it to live or to die or was there anything beyond that? Like how, what, how did you get out of that? Like what, you know, do you remember any part of that moment as far as possibly telling yourself, Hey, sure i may not have quote unquote chosen this purpose and this work for me but what can i do with it
1: well i, I never really got to the point where i thought i was going to live or a good, i was going to die like i said there was my other two sons there mm-hmm. were their other but i did feel i guess obligated you know that i had to do it and that wasn't that really wasn't truly healthy either you know going from a point of uh, being obligated so for me it was more of a gradual working through process, you know, um, realizing that the pain I was going through was not healthy. I realized the stress was was breaking me down physically. I mean, I got to the point where I was having, um, you know, severe lower back issues. I could hardly, you know, um, get up and walk around. I was gaining weight. Um, the tinnitus showed up, you know, and it just this constant ringing in my ears and things were bothering me. And I was just sad and depressed all the time. And it just, it just came to me one day that I have to forgive. Hmm. And I had to, um, had to forgive my son for the mistakes he made. I was very angry with him for making those mistakes. But honestly, when I look back at my own youth, I made a lot of bad decisions. I just, I survived them. I dodged
0: them. And
1: most people can, when I, when I have this conversation with them, we all look back and go, wow, you know, um, when I was 15 or 18 or 22 or whatever, that was a pretty stupid thing to do. <laughs> and, uh, and I did that and I survived it. And it, Jonathan was just experiencing the same sort of things and he didn't survive it. So I had to forgive him. I had to forgive me. Um, I'm not really sure if there's something I didn't teach him something. I didn't show him something that some conversation that was necessary for me to have with him that I didn't have that, would have made him make smarter decisions in that on that last night of his life when he when he put himself in harm's way. I forgave the mom, who had the party. I forgave the uh, her son. He was a little bit older than Jonathan. Who, uh, from my understanding, talking to people afterwards, is when you know this this young man he was, oh maybe 20, 21 years old at the time, and Jonathan mm-hmm. was 16. And when the younger boys came in, they said nobody's leaving unless they're drunk, and they got him in a drinking contest. And uh, the older boys were drinking those red solo cups full of water. And the and the two younger boys, the knuckleheads, they were drinking uh, red solo cups full of vodka. And it saddens me to know that, you know, that he lost his life uh, getting involved in a drinking contest with people he hardly even knew. And he left behind all of us who loved him so deeply. So there was a lot of forgiveness that had to go, go along with that. Mm-hmm. You
0: know, one of the things that you mentioned is obviously... Going back to our youth and based on my age i'm a, I'm closer to that as I can recall just within five or six or seven years of being able i've been in those positions and one of the things that I've learned from my experience is one of the reasons why I, along with some of my friends at the time, chose to participate in some of these activities, such as drinking, was because for some people, it was a way to ease into the environment. At least this is the perception that they had was that, you know, there was a there's a form of social anxiety that they were battling. And the only way to break through it was to kind of, in a way, level out the playing field. Everyone's on the same thing. No one's there to judge. And and there it gave certain people enough space to be themselves and to really express themselves as who they are. The question that you and I were talking about was, you know, is drugs and alcohol, is that how do we transition from that? How do we transition from that mindset that those are the only things available to us as youth to combat some of this, some of these problems, which are real at the end of the day? I mean, we make them real through our thoughts. So as long as we continue to think that okay, I am not or I can't be social in this particular environment, the only way to do so is to have some drugs within me. That's the only way I can get through it. But is based on your experience and what you've learned and the different people that you spoke with. I mean, there's
1: got to be more than that, right? Well, it's I've learned uh, being involved as I am with different organizations now, and I've talked to Penny plenty of people in the prevention field and recovery field, uh, one of the things I learned was the human brain, it goes through a bit of a metamorphosis from the ages of 14 to 24. Uh, not surprisingly, the young ladies transition a lot quicker than the young men. They get, they're a little smarter than we are. We probably recognized that was when we were teenagers, we just didn't want to admit it, you know. And, um, <laughs> um, but they, they pick up on you know, getting a little smarter, a little quicker than we do. And it's actually a, a, a physical metamorphosis of the brain, a redeveloping, a rewiring, if you will. And the last thing you need injected in there is alcohol and drugs. But here we are. You know, we we want to be a part of something when we're young people. I mean, yeah, you can see me. I've got my gray whiskers. You know, I'm an old guy. <laughs> and, uh, I've, you know, but and you've earned those stripes. You know, you're in mm-hmm. the whiskers. You own the wrinkles. You've learned some things along the way. And um. And I've learned from some of these people that when they're going through this transition and you want to be a part of things things as a teenager, you want to be accepted. You see that you maybe you see the the school leaders, the ones who are that everybody looks up to in the school. I mean, we talk about uh, parents being influencers and we know that parents still are whether they would know it or not, they're the leading influencer in their teen's life. You know, they need to have, they need to have these conversations at home and clearly set family examples and, and expectations. This is what we, this is what we want. I mean, um, you could take distracted driving, for example, you know, somebody could be texting on the phone, texting on the phone while they're driving, but tell their teenagers not to do it while they're sitting there watching mom and dad do it as they're driving down the phone, uh, driving down the road with their phone. I mean, that's, That's problematic. So you have to set those other expectations, I think, within the family, maybe in your community. I mean, um, how many times do uh, communities will have a family festival and you go to the family festival and they'll have a roped off area? There's a beer tent, you know, and they say, well, we've got it under control because we're checking IDs. So nobody under 20. But that's not the thing. The thing is, what message are you sending to everybody? You know, because it's almost aspirational. I can't wait till I'm old enough to go do that. Because that's what the that's what the adults do. Yeah. You know, and this is this is what they do over there. Maybe you could just have a family festival without having those sort of things there. And maybe you can have the conversation with your in your family. And 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 maybe you don't have to come home every night and have a glass of wine with your dinner every night or a or a cold one as soon as you get home. You know, maybe you can hold off on that. Maybe wait till the kids go to bed or something like mm-hmm. that. And, and But have the conversations when they go out, you know, um, this is what we expect. And this is how our family operates. Um, coaches, I, I'm a big fan of uh, supporting youth athletics. And I think uh, coaches can be great mentors in this regard. You know, the athletes on our team, we don't get involved with this sort of thing. You know, we play it right way. We play the clean way. And I don't expect this with my athletes and knowing what I said earlier about the human brain going through those transitions, we have to repeat the message over and over and over. I work with a man named Joe, and Joe's job for, oh gosh, 40, 50 years, Joe's job was to be hired by companies to teach adults new methodology within their companies. You know, the, the difficulty of teaching the old dog new tricks. They, maybe they ran that piece of equipment for years a certain way, and they were just trying to rebuild their business. And they wanted to save their valued employees. They weren't just going to you know, get rid of their employees because they're changing their method of operation. So they wanted to coach them up and teach them how to do things. So that's what Joe did. And Joe told me that on average, an adult has to hear the same message seven times before it would stick. That's on average. So someone may get it the first time and some way it may be 14 or more. Twice as long, yeah. Twice as long. Well, you take a young person when we know that that, that brain is going through that transition that elasticity of the ages of 14 to 24 you may have to say it a lot more than seven times that these are our family expectations or the coach may have to say it this is how we play the game and we play it right you know we play it clean and i expect you to show up in a certain way and i think it has to come from um from the parents i think it has to come from the community and i think it has to come from the schools and i think we have to probably start younger than the ages of 14 maybe we have to have these conversations when they're 9 and 10 uh, we see too much data in something here in Illinois, we've got something called the Illinois Youth Survey, which is administered every two years. And uh, they ask certain questions of 8th graders, 10th graders, and 12th graders. And these questions are typically the same, and then we can study the trends every two years if we go out and we engage in certain uh, changes in policy, for example, to see the impact of the policies and having an effect on the answers from the students. and and when you see these numbers year year after year every 2 years you see the same sort of things that you know maybe 50% or 55% of seniors in high school have used alcohol in the last 30 days that's problematic and that's something we have to work on because you know they're going to be me someday it trickles they're, down yeah yeah well well they're going to be they're going to be the leaders of the community mm mm-hmm. mhm You know, they're going to be the mayor, they're going to be the councilman, they're going to be a police officer, they're going to be the business owner, they're going to be those things. And if we want to advance our society and advance our country, we have to start earlier. We have to get into these conversations earlier. Um, When I speak at the youth victim impact panels, like I said, I'll be there Monday night at at Benedictine in, in Lyle, Illinois. One of the conversations I have with those young people, I says, I'm not just talking to you. I'm talking to people that aren't even born yet. Because I'm trying to build something within you that when you take over the system, because Rita and I, we've got a lot more years behind us than we got ahead of us. So you'll be moving into these roles someday that you're better prepared than we are. And it's something that maybe that what we're talking about now becomes normalized within you. And when you have your conversation with your our, what would be our grandchildren or our nieces and nephews or whatever, you're having the conversation that maybe we should have had when we were in their 20s and 30s, have them with our young kids.
0: You know, there's so many things that come to mind. I think the first one is this thing that I've encountered throughout life. It is that some some of us will fall into positions where we begin to think that we are not leaders or that we can't be leaders. And so it's part of our professions and it's just the natural uh, progression that we go through in, in throughout life and that is an entry-level job doesn't, make you a leader or at least that's a tendency to think so but really the beyond that i mean you don't even know you may not be to the level that you aspire to be as a leader within your company you can be a leader within your household you can be a leader within your community you can be a leader to yourself and i think what what you just mentioned as far as this whole concept is that is if we can reverse that mindset And say to ourselves that yes, our actions can influence other people, then I think we gain a greater (coughs) understanding of who we are, and also a deeper level of accountability and responsibility for our actions. You know, the things that you mentioned about having the, the beer tents at some of these community festivals, well... One of the things I remember when I was younger was definitely hearing this message that, okay, once you're older, you'll be able to participate in that. But here's one thing, and this is a slight caveat to anything. Whenever you're a kid, 99% of the time, I have found a way to get to that thing. You know, you push hard enough, just it's a tr- aspect of life. It's true about life. You push hard enough, you're going to find a way to get there. So... For me, it was maybe asking someone who is a little bit older, hey, I'm almost there. I'm 19. I'm almost that age. And and then that person, just based on how well of a connection you have with them and what you tell them, they're willing to give you that chance. And so you you are spot on as far as what are we teaching? What examples are we setting for other people? Sure, there might be rules and regulations preventing us from certain things, but are there rules and regulations beyond that that we should be setting for ourselves? So some of these community meetings and stuff, you know, even though the law is 21 and above, but are we really thinking beyond that and thinking to ourselves, okay, it might be 21 and above, but I know that I have 16 and 17-year-old kids around here who are going to find their way there regardless. So why don't I just eliminate the thing to begin with or help them understand it in a different view such as help them understand the impact of alcohol.
1: I like that point about helping them understand the impact of alcohol. One of the things I've bounced around in my brain a little bit is how do we get into the middle schools and have a certain level of conversation because, you know, they're still young and they're still developing. You know, I certainly wouldn't tell them the same story about uh Our son, Jonathan, as I do when I go to the high school, it's because the high schools understand that they're in the middle of all that sort of thing. But you can have that conversation about respect and responsibility and the rewards you get for making good choices. You can start that building those those building blocks in the middle schools and having these conversations, but doing them as as part of the curriculum. Yeah. Yeah. You know, as part of something they hear over and over and over, because this isn't, you know, not just having one guy like me come in one day on one class period and having a 30 minute or 40 minute talk or anything like that, Mm -hmm. but something, something you get tested to, something you, you, you answer to. Um, How many times I've gone to schools, I've walked through the hallways of schools, you you know, I'm usually met at the entrance and they walk me to an auditorium or gymnasium to speak to the students. And I go in there and the hallways are lined with pictures of former athletes. Hmm. And I just think to myself, okay, I mean, that's great. You know, you were you were a terrific hurdler or you were a great high jumper, you know, and, and maybe you come back to the school and see your pictures, see you don't. But those are the aspirational pictures. And everybody gets involved. You know, they want to be an athlete. They want to be accepted. They want to be this thing. And I think, why don't we have things in there? Um, um, stories within the school, signage within some of these schools. And, and and I have to admit, I've seen a little bit of change in that in the last couple of years. Um, not enough, though. But why don't we see these things where the aspiration is to be a leader in your community? You know, because there must be somebody who came out of that school who became a corporate leader, became a business leader, became a religious leader, whatever that was, is somebody that you can aspire to be that you know they're walking they're walking through those hallways from class to class to class and they're there 5 days a week and those are the pictures they see well those are the pictures they're having an impact on them yeah so we can make it part of 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 the system and then have a class in there. I know they have health classes and they talk about different things that are necessary in health classes. And, and maybe in driver's ed, they probably, maybe there's a part of driver's ed class. that is, you know, we talk about, it's been a long time since it's driver's ed, so I can't really <laughs> say it. I've been behind the wheel for a long time. But um, maybe they have that part of the conversation too. But I think it needs to be a regular part of the structure because these are the young people that were that are going out in the world. Um I'm a retired guy and I sit – it's it's some part-time work I do. I go to DUI misdemeanor court here in DuPage County and I go there two or three days a week and I sit in the courtroom and I observe the pleas, the plea bargains. I observe the bench trials, uh, occasionally a jury trial and uh, the different uh, hearings that they'll have and I observe these things. And we're in a county of about a million people, just a shade under a million people here in the western suburbs of Chicago. And we've got three courtrooms totally dedicated to DUI misdemeanors. And there's 40 or 50 cases every day in each one of those courtrooms. And just extrapolate that out through the course of the year. That's how many people and everybody in there, 100% of them know I shouldn't be doing this. That's the work we have ahead of us. And that's why we have to start earlier. Because everybody in that room knows they shouldn't put themselves at risk. They know they shouldn't be putting, you know, some of them have their kids in the car. That'll be, you know, I get the court report and I see what the charges are. You're driving with a child passenger and we've got a lot of work ahead of us. And that's why it's so important to get to the, get to the minds younger. We know that the media, the commercials are on television. We know that the commercials are in on the radio. Um, They're out there, you know, it's, it's a publicly traded, it's mass produced. It, It hires people, it has jobs. I can walk out my door right now and there's probably within um, a 10 minute walk there's probably six or seven locations I can buy beer We're surrounded by it so why can't we have classes in school uh, to have these discussions about how you deal with it why can't we talk about it at school that this is if you do this as a young athlete this is what ha- this is how it keeps you from being the best athlete you can this is how it keeps you from being the best student you can. This is how it impacts you uh, uh, long-term in your life if you make these decisions. Because we're sure as heck not going to stop these gas stations or these pharmacies or whoever else is you know feels the need to make and, and sell alcohol in their businesses. That's not going to stop. Yeah. So we need to educate. We need to get ahead of it. And I think we need to start at a young age. Couldn't agree with you more. You know,
0: I think one of the things that – comes to my mind is is this whole concept of um, things that get passed on from one generation to another and I think it's about breaking the generational cycle that happens and this happens outside of so many different uh, arenas that we're even talking about for the sake of this conversation I mean when you talk about domestic abuse that oftentimes based on the conversations that I've had it's a cycle it's it's when an individual was abused whether it was a childhood or years beyond that and it boils down to education they don't know any other way that is better when it comes to handling a child or relationship or whatever else they're a part of so educating them in a way but you know education is also a tricky part because just like you said it takes seven times for a person to i guess fully acknowledge you know, what's happening. And for some, it could be 14. For others, it could be one time. Mm -hmm. Education is the same exact way. Is that I think we try and create this standard and here is what you need to know, but not everyone learns the same exact way. Some people have to either have it be repeated multiple times. Others have to have a complete different mode as far as when it comes to it. And I think... I think we're on the right track as far as understanding us as individuals now. But for many years before that, we didn't understand that. And so we were teaching everything from kind of one point of view. Well, what's going to happen if you, if that's not your strength? What, what's going to happen if your level of learning happens when you're actively doing something else, such as painting or some other form of art? And then you're being told these messages, and then that's when you feel comfortable enough with engaging with the person that's teaching you, because a lot of this, you know, comes from self-interest. It's do I have enough
1: interest in this particular topic to want to engage? Well, I understand that there are plenty of classes I was in high school that I was tuned out in, <laughs> yeah. you know, and it, it's just being a high school kid. Yeah, you know, you know, here in in the Midwest, as you know, the seasons change, and spring would come along, and I'm I'm looking out the window thinking, boy, that's where I'd rather be, or I look across a, a, the classroom and I'm looking at Lana or Holly, and I'm probably more interested in, in those uh, those girls than I am certainly anything the teacher had to say about physics or uh, advanced algebra or anything like that it was just dry stuff. So the, the teaching, I guess, you know, we're not cookie cutter people. Yeah, we're each, we're each unique in our own ways. As we discussed earlier, you know, um, um, sadly, many people have faced what you face and not 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 everybody handled it the same way. Mm-hmm. And Sadly for me, you know, I'm in this club that has no name. You know, if if someone's a, if you're a child that loses a parent, you're an orphan or if you're a husband or wife, you lose your spouse, you're a widow or a widower. But there's no word in the English language for a parent who loses a child. Um, we stay the parent. There just is not one. I didn't even and, think about that that way. Yeah. Yeah. But And so we're in this, we're in a, you know, back, lack of a better phrase, we're in this club that we don't want to be a part of. Um, and uh, we don't want anybody else to be a part of it because it it, it is a gut wrenching pain that doesn't really, you know, we mark time, you know, I, I can't, you know, I, I know every time of the year when the loss to Jonathan and that date comes up, there's, um, I refuse to call it an anniversary. Anniversary connotates a a celebration. It's not a celebration. It's sadness. Uh, But you mark it. You know, okay, this is year one, ten. You know, I just, um, we lost him in 2005, so we just had the 14th year. And I can't believe that it's getting to the point in my life that he's going to be away from us as long as he was alive. That's just, um, but you, you know, the waves aren't quite as overwhelming. You know, they come on occasion, you know, it, initially they just, they washed you, they knocked you down. Now they just, you know, they might hit you at, you know, knee level or shin level and you acknowledge it, you know, and it hurts, but you, you've been through it before. You've been through the process. Um, one of the things that most challenge, you know, I, I I remember this probably after I started speaking and I said, I didn't start public speaking until 2007. And I, uh, I had spoken up in this community up in the north side of Chicago a couple of times. And they asked me to come up there and shoot a video. And um, they had a group up there out of Highland Park. And they were, I was sitting in my car, sitting there thinking to myself, like, what did it, why did it take something like this to happen to me to make me a better guy? Mm-hmm. Why wasn't I doing this sort of thing before? Why wasn't it? Because it's all necessary work. It's all good work. You know, granted, I could have done it without having this story that I have to tell, just going out and doing the right thing and trying to help young people. Why wasn't I doing this before? And I walk in the room and I watch a couple of the uh, the tapings of a couple of young people who spoke before me. Then they brought me up and they sat me down and they told me, make sure you don't look in the camera. Look at me, you know, gave me instructions. And I'm looking at this person. His name was Nick. And Nick was probably in his late 20s. And at the time I spoke to him at that time, I was probably in my middle 50s. And he says, okay, you ready to go? And I said, sure. And the first question out of his mouth was, does it bother you that you're probably a better person now than you were before you lost your son? And it just blew me away. I was like, the first time I'd ever had that thought was five minutes before when I'm sitting in my car by myself. And this young kid <laughs> asked me that very question, and I was just blown away. And what it does, in hindsight, it confirms to me that we're all connected on some level. There is a bigger plan, and we're all connected. You were deigned to do what you're doing right now, and, and you had a choice at some point to either follow through on what the design was or, or wasn't, and you are. And as sad as this makes me losing Jonathan, because I love him dearly, and you know when people when we were losing him, people told me you know nothing angered me more than they said, oh he's in a better place. I, said, I have a pretty good place, you know. Don't tell me he's in a better place. Our place was pretty good. I know they met well, but it angered me. Uh, but to come to find out later that maybe there was some bigger design for me than being a guy who was a manager, you know, in, in a manufacturing, mid-level manager at a manufacturing plant. Maybe this was what I'm supposed to do. Gosh knows, I have a lot more energy for it. <laughs> and um, to, to come out and have these conversations. And, you know, when you can stand up in front of, and I didn't know I could do it, but now I can stand up in front of a group of a thousand kids, 1500 kids, and have this conversation and tell the story, and then have some Young person walk up afterwards and and pull you off to the side and and tell you something personal and important about their life and what should they do, and you try to give them that right answer. I, I had no idea that that was going to be the role for me, but I'm I'm glad I'm able to do it now. I'm glad I'm able to have this conversation with you today, and and we can help you know you grow your message and get your message out there if we all work together and we all connect mm-hmm. on these things that we're talking about leadership. Oh my gosh. That's what we really need is more leaders um it dawned on me a few years ago i was uh I would go to a school and I might speak, the kids would have to go <laughs> you know they don't get any choice, so they'd get you know, it's your class period, you go in the gym, you go listen to this guy talk, and there'd be hundreds, maybe a thousand two thousand kids in there, and then it would be voluntary for the parents at night. Well, you know where I'm going right now, right when it came at night, and the parents, there might be fifteen twenty people showed up. And the truth was that 15 or 20 people showed up, probably aren't the ones who needed to hear the message. Yeah. You know, they already got it. You know, they they came out for a reason. They came out whether the weather was nice, whether it was snowy, rainy, whatever. They came out because they already knew in their hearts that this was important. And, uh, you know, you're speaking to the choir. But the fact is, uh, never underestimate the power of the choir. You know, those sure. are your messages that you need to send out in that community. But I thought to myself, how am I going to reach those other eight hundred, a thousand, two thousand parents about this message. And then it dawned on me, just sitting alone in a room, ah, my young boys were wrestlers. And they were youth wrestlers in youth clubs. And we used to go on Sundays to these gymnasiums where there would be two thousand kids and parents in this gymnasium all there to support their own kids getting ready to wrestle. One little Six minute match, five minute match. I wonder if I reached out to these different events because they'll have like a dozen throughout the state of Illinois, all throughout the Sundays of December, January, and February. And wonder if some of them will let me just come out there and talk. And I won't talk about Jonathan's story. Some of these kids are five years old. They can't hear, you know, they're there to wrestle. They're there to compete. (laughs) I'm not there to hear, you know, Daddy Downer come up and tell him this sad story about his son. But I get in there. And I've had four of them on a regular, regular rotation. I've gone up there four or five years in a row to these different places. There's a gym full of moms and dads and young people in there. Sometimes there was even high school kids that are forced by their team to come help work the event. And I sit in there and we talk about what I mentioned earlier. We talk about my version of the three R's. When I was a kid, it was reading, writing, arithmetic. But really what it is is respect. Responsibility and the rewards you get for making good choices. Now just talk about, you know, getting your homework done on time. Talk about, you know, doing the chores and don't having mom and dad have to ask you three or four times. And how many of you are the big brother, the big sister? Because yeah, there's some young girls that wrestle too. And when they raise their hands, talk about the responsibility you have to your younger siblings to set that good example. Talk about You know, your responsibility is not just to the the front of the jersey where it's got your name, but it's the back of the jersey the team involved in or the community you represent. And talk about leadership. And I let – especially when I talk to the kids who are in the seventh and eighth grade because they're a little more sophisticated. I remind them that nobody, nobody in this gymnasium, not one mom, not one dad, not one coach, not one referee, and not this old guy with the gray whiskers is going to tell you you can't be – the leader. The only one that's going to stop you from being a leader is you. That's it. That's the only person going to stop you. The world needs more leaders. And you can be the leader by getting your chores done on time. Don't act up in class. Participate. When your wrestling practice, when your coach says it's time to do this drill, don't goof off. Set the example for the little kids and just make it a part of who you are. That's the respect, and that's responsibility. And what's the reward you're going to get? He says, you're not even going to know it. The reward you're going to get is when the coaches are sitting around one day, and they're having a cup of coffee, and they're t- just discussing among them themselves. They're going to go, you remember that kid, Tommy? Or you remember that girl, Sally? You remember them? Boy, I wish I had more wrestlers like them. They were the best. They didn't win every match, but they were leaders, and I'm sure they're doing just terrifically in life. And that's what we need more of. We need those types of conversations at those levels. We need to repeat them. And we need to repeat them in school as well. You know, there's so many things
0: that you touch upon. I think one of them that's important to note is the level of engagement that we are, all of us as individuals. And the conversation that you just mentioned of being able to speak to some of those parents who were there, who understood what the issue was and were there for different reasons, maybe there to help spread the message more, help support you in a different way. But those that needed to hear it the most weren't there. And it just makes me think of this, that for that particular population of people who weren't there, I think one of the reasons why, at least based on my experience that I've been able to understand it, why certain people like that don't come to those particular meetings or haven't yet is because they, they are not ready to engage with that conversation yet. And so it's, it's, it's about finding different modes, literally what you did and what you are doing right now. It's finding other ways that people choose to engage with a particular platform, with a particular conversation. Because as you can recall, it's a very different environment when you have a conversation face-to-face and you're able to feel the other person and sense their energy versus when you're having a phone call, versus when you're having a video chat. Those are all very different modes. So had you and I not seen each other now, it would be entirely different form of energy. So for people, it's, it's different levels that they have to come to, but it all boils down to you. And that's what you're spot on with, is that it all boils down to you as an individual. It's where are you all on this journey? And which aspect of that do you need to hear at a particular time, at a particular place in order for you to have that moment where you ask yourself the question of, oh, I get it. Maybe I should have done this differently. And we all do it. I mean, I, I've I've caught myself doing things and none of us are perfect. I catch myself sometimes where I would be getting a call or receiving a text or email as I'm driving. And halfway through, I'm like, why the hell am I doing this? Sure, sure. Not only am I putting myself at risk, but I'm putting the person to the right, person to the left, and 50 other cars behind me. Because who, who's going to know what's going to happen from this possible wreck?
1: It's, it's amazing how far you can travel in a distance just looking down at your phone. You realize, oh, wow, I just traveled 100 yards. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> and you never know what you and, – and then you begin to question, well, what did I cross within those 100 yards? Sure. I mean, what if there was a child, and you see this story all the time because we're kids like that. Yeah. You play around in the soccer field, and sometimes you get a lousy kick, and it goes over the fence. And sure. As a kid, you don't stop and think, "Hey, there's there are cars. I might get hit. I might die." You just go after the ball. No, and then you're a hundred to- years, and it's instant. And yeah. then you've changed not only
1: the trajectory of those parents, but just like you said, generations to come. Generations to come. And, you know, when you're a kid like that, the whole world's supposed to be looking out for you. That's yeah. what you're expecting. You know, I'm just getting the ball. Yeah, that's all I was doing. And so, no, I understand that completely. One time I did a, um, I did a ride along with the local de- police police department. If you've never done that, you should ask around and see if you can do that sometime. So I'm sitting in the front seat with the police officer and I was uh, wanting to see him do a couple of uh, stops at night. And he explained to me, you know, he says, OK, when they're on the side streets, I don't do anything if they're five miles over. And these are some of our main arteries, 10 miles over. And on this this uh, busy road here, if they're 15 miles over the speed limit, I don't do anything. But after that, I, I make a stop. He says, but right now I'm going to look for um, uh, distracted drivers. He says it's really easy at night because you can see the glow of the phone. Mm. So he would fly up next to the car. And he was just, you know, part of me. I'm sitting here thinking, well, you got a computer in the front, you got a radio in the front, you got all the <laughs> You're shoes. not exactly the best example here yourself. You've got to be distracted, man. <laughs> okay, but working with professionals, we'll just say that. And, uh, but he's flying up next to these cars, and he's in a big SUV, unmarked. And one woman, and this tells me the power of the phone in this one instance, how powerful it was. He pulls up right next to her. She's got the phone holding in her hand, steering at one wheel, doing that thing with glancing up, glancing down, glancing up, glancing down. I could see it because the phone was bright enough for me to look in there and see it. She looks up right at him, but it didn't wasn't aware that it was a police officer. She looks right at him, goes back to her phone, and then she's like, you know, the kid getting her hand caught in the cookie jar. <laughs> then it dawned on her, oh, that's a cop. And she drops the phone, you know, on, on the uh, floor below her. But she was so locked into that device that initially she didn't react to that's a police officer looking at me. And that's how much those things suck you in. Yeah. I think people need to, when they get in a car, just throw them in your glove box. Yeah. There's not a message that important, right? There's nothing, you know, just throw them in the glove box and then you get them out of arm's length and you forget about it.
0: Well, you know, the other thing that about leadership, and it's kind of interesting to live in today's day and age with the, level of technology that we've had so far, is that <clears throat> I think leadership, it's its interesting to look at it from this point of view where we have Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, all of these things, and a lot of them, when they're kind of number focused. I mean, it's the, ten, the tendency to think is that the, the higher the following, the more of a leader you are, but that is entirely false. And so, as part of it, there many different obstacles that we're having to work through as individuals. Well, how do we break down that barrier? How do we help a child understand who doesn't even have an iPhone yet that they can be a leader not only in the future but maybe for the role that they're in right
1: now? Well, they're already watching us, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have grandchildren, you know, and uh, got a two-and-a-half-year-old grandson, uh, my my second wife, she's got a, a granddaughter who's three-and-a-half, four right now. I've got a niece that's almost four, and they can already use the phones. Yeah. They they already use them. They pick them up, and the thing is, is the parents, truth be told, when their kids are getting too antsy or taking up too much of their time, or they, Mommy, Mommy, Daddy, Daddy, I want this, they hand them the phone. Or they give them an iPad. Mm-hmm. So it maybe you need to start right there. You know, um, I was guilty of it. Certainly guilty of it. When my children were younger, we didn't have the phones or anything like that, but we had a VCR and VHS tapes, you know, and when you wanted to work on maybe you had some project you had from work you had to get done, or you, you just wanted to make dinner or something as a rote task as that, or some, maybe you just wanted to relax. And, you know, at one point in my life, you know, the oldest boy was four and the younger ones were two or, you know, you just move them up like that young kids. And, well, I take one of those Disney movies and slip it in a VCR. And I knew that I at least got at least um, an hour or two before they got bored with it. Maybe they started pushing each other around or, you know, just acting like young boys, you know, acting, you know, needing my attention and needing my intervention or whatever that was to. Uh, so guilty of it myself. <laughs> um, So, um, I, I, you know, can't blame others for things I'm guilty, you know, that I did as well. Mm -hmm. So, but when I see that with these phones and you're so right, the thing with, we're letting these things with the likes judges, how popular we are. And it's such sort of, it's, it's such a, um, it's such a fake popularity. You know, um, the real, the real value you have as individuals and why people like, uh, you and I, we need to go out and reinforce this message about leadership is the personal relationships. Is what sort of impact did you have on somebody that um, they may have made, they may have just thought it through, not necessarily made a drastic change in their life, but they just stopped to take a deep breath. Um, when we speak at um, before the high schools or I speak before any group of people, my whole thing is just to reach that one. Yeah, I don't want to be greedy. You know, when I first started out, is I wanted. To, I hope everybody's just gonna be amazed by the great words I have to say up here. You know, because I'm gonna tell this this story, and they're just no, that's not it. You just reach that one, like the one kid who comes up and talks to me. You know, um I had came up to me, and I it was up in uh, Warren Township High School, and she came up and talked to me after I was done about how she had just lost her sister, and she'd lost her about. um uh, three weeks before I got up and spoke about losing my son, she, she said, what am I supposed to do? And uh, I'm not a professional. I'm not a trained psychologist or anything like that. But she needed to talk to me at that moment because she felt that I knew her pain. And the, probably the teachers didn't and probably the other students didn't. Nobody else did. And so I just talked to her about, you know, uh, some of the things that, you know, that I did with Jonathan and how why I come up and I do this to honor him. And then I saw her smile a little bit and I waited for my moment. And I said, you know, you do have people in this school that you can talk to. And if you don't like what they have to hear, what, they, what they're what they saying to you, you can just ask them to point you in the right direction. But you do need to talk to somebody because there are people who've heard our stories before. I said, and don't be afraid to talk to somebody. I said, that was one of the healthiest things I did because I tried to take it on myself. And uh, eventually I went out and talked to professionals because the weight. It was too much to bear. So I had to talk to somebody who, you know, had heard these stories before and um, and gave me not a right answer, not a wrong answer. They just listened. And, and just space. And that's all that really matters. Um, you know, my mom couldn't help me. My brothers couldn't help me. My, you know, my sister, could, nobody could because they hadn't had that experience. Not like that. And you know, either that or they're just too many miles away. So you just, you just needed to have that conversation. And, um, sometimes I'm just that conduit and I'm cool with that. Huh. You know, it's
0: interesting about what you just said. A couple of things. First one is this concept of one person at a time, one day at a time. I'm a huge believer of that as well. And what made me, it took me a little while to really understand it. and And that is, that whole mindset, it it doesn't come from the place of oh I don't have the right message to speak to a mass audience. It it really boils down to, I mean when you when you think of and position yourself in, within a crowd of however many people thousands hundreds whatever it may be. The reason why I choose to go and relate to one person is, I mean that because you never know the impact they'll have, and. Everyone's stories, it truly is unique to who they are. So the things that you've traveled through, they may not be relatable as far as the exact steps to anyone else. And most times they aren't at the end of the day anyway. So it's how do I share my story enough through a form where I'm me and nothing more than that. And I accept myself and allow other people to see themselves as reflections within me within my own journey, within the things I went through. So I I love that mindset of of delivering it to one person. And if you've done your job of having that conversation, well, you're you're on the right track. And sometimes for anyone who's listening and for those who are speakers or are able to share their message in front of others, sometimes you will be in situations where you may not have that one person come up to you. And that's okay. And it's not because you didn't deliver or because your message didn't resonate. It boils down to where that person was within their life. There might not, They may not have been ready. In your case, that, that little girl that came up to you, had it been a month before where she was still dealing through a lot of this, you might not have had that conversation. No, you're right. She might not have come up to you and say, "Hey, this is what I'm going through, this is how I'm feeling because there's a huge level of courage that's got to happen through your own self-discovery, and the most important part that you did was you created a space for her to feel safe and for her to know that at the end of the day there's someone else along the way that
1: has shared similar things that can give her this hope that she's not alone. It- And I only hope that uh, she did go and have those conversations with the right people, and they were able to help her. And um, even though those things only take you so far, yeah, um, a lot of it's internalized. A lot of it, you you have to accept certain things. I know um, when we speak to some, like they said Monday night, when we speak, one of the things that um, my friend Rita has had to accept, and I had to accept, is you know, there's too many parents that I work with sometimes, and, and, and I don't know how to say this delicately, but they put the entire blame on their conversations to the fact that, um, like, say, maybe in my case, I would have just blamed the mom who provided that environment for Jonathan. Right. That's incomplete. The fact is, is my son did make a mistake. And the or, mom or may not have known. She may she may not have. I mean, she did know. It turned out it's kind of hard not to know that you're having, you know, when you got 60, 70 kids in a party, the police had been called there twice that night. Because everybody in town, knew, you know, everybody in that neighborhood knew what was going on because of loud music and a lot of cars and kids screaming and stuff like that. And she answered the door both times. I came to find out later the second time she had a a cocktail in her hand. So she was pretty aware of what was going on. Certainly no intent for Jonathan to lose his life. Um, She, In her mind, she probably thought, well, I'm doing the right thing. The kids are going to drink anyhow. At least I'm providing a safe environment until she panicked after the police showed up and she had him thrown out of the house. So you know, she failed in a couple of regards there. But the point I'm making is, is not everybody looks at life the same way. And uh, it, it's part of our job when we go out and have these conversations is to offer a perspective. Right. And, and, and that perspective is, is just that one person or it might be 10 people to say, you know, to your point, I didn't see it that way. I didn't look like it, didn't look at it that way. And they may not acknowledge uh, most of the times when I get, when I give a talks, uh, 90% of the time, nobody comes up and says anything other than the person who, who asked me to come there to speak. And they say, good job. Thank you for showing up. You know, Um, and I ask them for a recommendation, you know, whatever, then, and we move on. Um, so most of the time, nobody comes up and says anything. That's why when those, the moments like that young lady came up and talked to me, or one time I window was knocked in the parking lot. And a young man, you know, just shook my hand, says, thanks for coming to the school. And I'm looking at him and he, he might've been the star quarterback on the team. He looked like he was big enough and healthy right. enough. You know, and and he just thanked me and, and that was worth it. And I said, okay, I'm thinking to myself, well, I'm good for another five speeches now. You know? <laughs> thanks for stopping by. And, um, so you don't know most of the time if you made that connection, but you're, you're dead on, right. Um, um, there's going to be somebody in that audience that's just going to have them take a breath the next time or they're going to think about it or maybe I'm not going to go to this party or maybe I'm not going to have this beer or maybe I'm not going to, or maybe I want to, you know, those conversations we talk about leadership. Yeah. You know what, like, I can do that. Yeah. Why? You know, that, that old guy's right. Mm-hmm. Why can't I do that? Why can't I be the leader? Yeah. I've kind of thought about it a little bit. Let me give this a try. Let me get my homework done on time this week. Let me get the chores done before you know. I don't. I don't need mom to tell me to take out the garbage. I know I'm supposed to take out the garbage. I mm-hmm. mean, let me just start these building blocks of life and do these things right, and then they become second nature. And <laughs> you and I will probably never know what sort of impact we may have had on somebody, but mm-hmm. I think we're both. I think we're both fine with that. Yeah.
0: yeah. And you know, as as part of this transformation, what I'm learning is, it it all boils down to how well do we understand a particular term, and. Transformation, I think at first, it sounds like a scary term and there's a lot to go through and multiple tiers and levels, but it all gets defined by you. So for me, a form of transformation is just allowing someone else to develop a slightly different perspective of how they viewed life beforehand. So when they come into a similar situation, are they able to look at it just from a slightly different view? I mean, a one degree turn from how they viewed it before. Does it make them question? And you're spot on as far as creating these spaces where people can just have an opportunity to question and reflect and observe their own existence. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's really, I think, at the essence of it all, what a lot of us are trying to create is this space where we can give others an opportunity to just question, to just be curious. Well, here's what I went through. Here's what I've lived through. But what does it really mean to me? How do I create my own meaning? How do I restructure some of my actions? You know, how do I do? I think twice before I get into a car after I have had five or six
1: drinks, right? Or do I just grab my Uber and exactly. ask for a ride? Yeah. yeah. No, it, it, or do I not have that extra drink? You know, that maybe I've okay. I know once enough it's enough. Yeah. And and then the next time maybe one less, I'm not, you know, we're, we're not in the world of, you know, we know people like to have fun. Yeah. We're not, uh, I know that prohibition doesn't work and abstinence, <laughs> is, abstinence is in the eye of the beholder and all those sort of things. You know, we're human beings. We have our, we have, uh, the duality of man. We have our strengths, we have our weaknesses. We, we all have them. Yeah. And, um, but you, and I think what you and I are talking about here right now is accenting the strengths and, 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 and building upon that. And accepting the weaknesses, some of the some of the greatest wisest people we've had on this planet. When we've gone back, and and they've done a, a story on their history, and they've dug it deep into their history, and they've revealed their true story. They had frailties. Oh yeah. They had weaknesses, but that doesn't mean that they didn't deal with those and still do great things and leave wonderful legacies. And and and, and um, t- to do that sort of thing, and you know. Gosh knows, I mean, if everybody ever dug into my true story and my true past, I please don't. See, we didn't have Facebook in my day, and, <laughs> and, and so I was lucky they didn't have that, you know? So there's, you know, pictures of me aren't out on the internet forever and ever and ever that I did this when I was 16 or 17, and as long as I don't go back to that small town in northern Illinois and see some <laughs> of my old classmates from the class of 1973, by the way... Um, as long as I do, I'm not in front of them, you know, I can deny the facts of my youth. It's a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, we did have our own Facebook. I think about that. It was um, going out and making the mistakes on the weekend and then coming back to school on a Monday morning and bragging about how wasted you were. Oh, uh-huh. did you see? Oh, yeah, I got so wasted, man. I was just, oh, yeah, you had a, And you would. So that was our mini Facebook, you know, where we would exhibit ourselves in front of our friends and try to elevate ourselves with the cool factor that we are part of the in crowd that was at the at the cool party you know we were accepted by all the rest of the kids you know and we wanted everybody else to see see I'm in that group I'm in this group over here I'm not in your group I'm in that group over here so we did you know we had a a non-social media Facebook very small within our own school but we were guilty of the same things and what Facebook did and what Instagram's done and that sort of thing has just allowed that to be presented on a uh, at international scale yeah and some people don't even realize it's out there forever yeah i once spoke with a young lady who talked about losing and um she lost her cousin and he 21 22 years old uh, uh the synthetic cannabis and uh you know, who knows what chemicals they put in those things and a strong young man died in his sleep and it, it of course it broke her and she got up and spoke before this audience that i spoke in front of and we became Facebook friends after that. And it was four months later I saw pictures of her on my on my home feed of the Facebook. Somebody had taken pictures of her, and there she was crawling down the hallway, obviously, you know, drunk, yeah. impaired. And I thought, how sa- I felt badly for her, because yeah. she was just just out being a kid, and who knows, maybe she was out feeling pain because of losing somebody she loved. And yet it was used indiscriminately against her. And it was put out there and it's out there forever because yeah. she didn't post it. She can't delete it. So unless this this person who had something against her or just thought it was funny or whatever that was, didn't take it down, it's out there. So that's one of the challenges that youth have of today too is having to be aware of that sort of uh, challenge, something I never had to, had to deal with. Mm-hmm.
0: Doug, what do you uh, – tell us a little bit about the work that – you do now and how do people get involved how do people find some of the things that you know you you're actively a part of how do people get engaged with what you're trying to accomplish
1: well i'm pretty specific to my area right now dupage county a western suburb of chicago illinois outside of the podcast which is mm-hmm. international um to this day, I don't know why people, you know, there's one person in Ireland and two people in Spain download it regularly. I have no idea. Yeah. Probably the same problems all over the place, I guess. But uh, <laughs> I'm happy they do. I've been thinking about sending them a T-shirt or something like that if I found out who they were. And um, but I, I'm I I'm involved with a one organization. I speak a uh, uh, monthly at a youth victim impact panel. It's the Alliance Against Intoxicated Motorists out of Schaumburg, Illinois. Um, on my third term as the co-chair of the DuPage County Prevention Leadership Team, we're a, a drug-free coalition with a focus mainly on keeping, um, um, trying to guide youth through the, um, their young life and stay away from drugs and alcohol, we our primary focus there. I sit in with another drug-free coalition here in Naperville called the Community Alliance for Prevention and uh i've got this podcast uh we've given out 17 high school scholarships in jonathan's name mm. uh since we lost him a uh, part of this got, uh, uh the reason i started the podcast is i'm trying to organically grow a second scholarship i'd like to get um to the point where i get some sort of sponsorship or something like that I, you know and um i would the, the intent of that scholarship is i think there's some young people that aren't necessarily want to go to college or necessarily built for college but if we can get a Uh, Some sort of help as they go on to the trades. We could use another electrician, another plumber, another carpenter. Uh I'd like to build that. So I'd like to do that organically through the podcast. So they can find me on um, www.positivealternatives.net. That's a website. Uh, Find me on LinkedIn, as you did, um, under my name, Doug Pettit. Um, I do have a page on on Facebook, Positive Alternatives. Um, You can find me on, uh, I think – Instagram, um, find me under uh, positive alternatives there as well. So yeah, I stay pretty busy. Um, we're always, if anybody's in Chicago land area, DuPage County, and they want to become of the, uh, become a part of the, uh, DuPage County prevention leadership team, we're always looking for some help there. Um, we have 12 sectors involved in that coalition and we could probably use a little bit more support from, um, two of the sectors, primarily people who are, who are business leaders in mm-hmm. our community and people who are religious leaders in our community, if we get anybody uh, involved with that, they would want to become a part of a – which I think is a dynamic coalition. A lot of I'm lucky to be in a room with a whole bunch of people a lot smarter than I huh. am, and I, and I just sit back and, and, and learn from them. So I think that would be a great group for everybody to be a part of as well. So I guess that's how you'd find me.
0: Appreciate it. Well, thank you so much. We're going to make sure to include all the different links and everything. To your show and, and ways people getting, get in touch with you, engage with your work. So we'll make sure to include that in the show notes. And I uh, appreciate you being a guest on the show. Appreciate your honesty and appreciate the the work that you do, as I'm sure both of us are able to acknowledge. And, you know, it's something that's um, sometimes in life, like I said before, you get to choose a purpose and then you get a purpose that's chosen for you. <laughs> and you whether or not you act upon it in both those cases that's entirely up to you but we chose to act upon it and as part of it it's um it boils down to really just finding platforms like like this and spaces and and having our messages be heard and and who knows what's going to happen from here who knows what people take away and who knows which aspect of your story touches someone else
1: Well, Oleg, I want to thank you very much for doing this. It's a little bit different sitting on this end of it, getting interviewed. I feel a little bit more exposed being the person (laughs) being questioned than being the questioner. So it's a little change of position for me. But thank you very much for doing this and keep up the great work you're doing.
0: Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, feel free to subscribe to our monthly newsletter so you can receive all of the latest episodes, featured stand-up and speak-up stories, and ways you can be involved with overcoming odds. Once again, we thank you for listening and we look forward to having you next week.